Hello and welcome to BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Root of BTN.com. We are back after a week or so hiatus on the Take 10 Podcast. We're back in a big way with the Michigan State Spartans headed to the Final Four. Got plenty to talk about. Um, shout out to the Spartans for extending our season, extending our basketball talk here on the show. We will talk plenty of uh, Spartan hoops with if you listen to the show, you know our resident stat head, our Spartan grad and Spartan fan, Harold Shelton. He hopped on to talk about the team he knows best. But before that, we have a special guest who had quite the week, and he joined the show to talk about it. And he's been on the show a handful of times before, worked very closely with him here at BTN, and he's one of the rock stars of college basketball reporting. It's Andy Katz. Andy, as uh, college basketball fans out there probably know, is a longtime college basketball reporter, worked for BTN the last couple years, very present, very front-facing talent who is uh, pretty much everywhere, and, and he literally almost was everywhere this past weekend during the NCAA tournament. So we talked with Andy about his four stops at all four regional sites. He did a marathon of sorts from Wednesday to Sunday, went from the regional site in Anaheim, hopped over to Kansas City, then to Louisville, and finally ended up in Washington, D.C., um, to see as much basketball as he possibly could and his luck would have it he ended up at two of the best games in the entire NCAA tournament Purdue Virginia and Michigan State Duke so talk at length with Andy about his travels about what he saw who he talked to along the way and we also previewed the final four with him as we did with Harold Shelton so those two interviews are coming right up we also have a third discussion on this edition of the Take 10 podcast we have producer Colleen Degnan and her call for the culture segment that we've done the last couple of months we pick it back up Colleen hops on to discuss everything going on in uh, the intersection of sports and pop culture this particular episode is a little more final four and bracket based we talk about what to do in Minneapolis Um, we continue our bracket segment from a couple weeks back which ranks the U.S. cities bracket style So it's a good way to close out a really fun episode, and I hope you enjoy listening to hopefully all of it. So before we get into those three interviews, I have to give a shout out to Northwestern University School of Professional Studies. They are back as the presenting sponsor of the Take 10 podcast. Thanks to them for uh, jumping back on. If you listened to some episodes this past fall, they were the presenting sponsor, and they are back on board to fill you in all about their master's program in sports administration. So if you're looking to get into a career in sports, want to work at a place like BTN or elsewhere in the sports industry, this info is for you. If you've ever thought about a career in sports, check out the master's program in sports administration at Northwestern University. You can build your skill set and your network in evening or online classes. Find out more at sps.northwestern.edu sports. And now that that's out there, we'll get to our interviews. First up, Andy Katz. You know him, face of uh, college basketball reporting, in my opinion. Also hosts the Big Ten Basketball Podcast for BTN, and he's on my podcast right now. It's a Take Ten Podcast discussion with Andy Katz. Very pleased to be joined once again by Andy Katz. He's a college basketball reporter for Fox, for NCAA.com, and most importantly, for Big Ten Network. You can follow him on Twitter at TheAndyKatz. Andy, welcome back. Thank you, Alex. Great to have you back on, and I uh, had you on back in October to preview the season. Knew I had to have you on again, especially after the weekend you just had. You were at all four regional sites uh, from, I think, Wednesday to Sunday, from Anaheim to D.C., Sea to Shining Sea. So let's start with that. Who came up with the idea to get to all four sites in, uh, in one weekend? Well, I did this one time years ago at ESPN, 
and uh, you know, I, to me, to me, it's very cool to do if you can do it logistically. But two, you also want to have something come out of it. And the social team at uh, March Madness was all in, and I had a shooter with me, which, as you know, Alex, makes life a lot easier when you and I are together. Right. Um, so I didn't have to do it solo because especially when you get to this point in the season when there's a lot more media and you want to grab interviews on the court, wherever, it's just hard to do solo. So that was number one. Once, once they were going to commit to send a shooter with me, um, and actually they split it up. There was one female producer who was with me the first two days and another female producer who was with me the second day, two days. Um, so it just made life a lot easier, but it was great. And, and as you know, the last two days of it were unbelievable. Those two games, the Purdue, Virginia, and Michigan State Duke, not that I needed something like that to make it worth it, but they were just epic. It was just so good. Yeah, we'll get into the details of those uh, unbelievable games, especially the final two, like you said, in just a second. Um, but yeah, you went from Anaheim, Kansas City, Louisville, then Washington, D.C., finished up uh, with the Michigan State game on Sunday, and the March Madness Twitter account at March Madness put out a, a video recap of the travel, so I encourage everyone to check that out. But before we even talk basketball, I'm curious, just with the itinerary like that, it kind of requires a lot of things to go right, you know, with minimal travel complications and minimal issues popping up. Did you have any, like, travel issues throughout the weekend, or is it all smooth? Well, so as you know, Alex, during the winter, going to Chicago every week and other Big Ten sites, we had a lot of issues this winter. And uh, back this whole winter, the only time where I could not make a flight was the day of the polar vortex. That was supposed to be a day I was supposed to be in studio on a Wednesday. Other than that, you know, there were a lot of delays. I never missed anything, but just a lot of delays and dealing with a lot of weather. So you're right. I was a little worried about that. Um, I uh, actually went, um, all but one of the flights were American. One, the, There was one Delta Direct from LAX to Kansas City. But there were two curveballs. One I wasn't expecting, one that I knew of. And that was, I originally was on a Max 8 from <laughs> uh, Hartford to LA Direct. And that got grounded, as everyone knows, those flights, those, those um, airlines. So I'm going to check in my flight, which I didn't know was a Max 8. This is the night before, so last Tuesday. And suddenly I'm going through Philadelphia to LA. And um, I also, that meant was leaving an hour earlier at 5.45 a.m. So it just added to, you know, that wrinkle. And then, little sidebar, just throw this out there for you. Um, everything does not go as smoothly as you think sometimes when you leave the house at 4.30 in the morning. So uh, I'm on the plane uh, from, this is on the second leg, I'm because uh, my family wasn't up yet. So I'm on the second leg from Philadelphia to L.A., and my wife texts me and she says, hey, by the way, did you mean to leave your laptop? Oh, man. <laughs> Which, of course, I did not. And I needed it for either writing or Skyping or whatever. So I cannot believe that I left my laptop sitting out because it was 4.30 in the morning. And, of course, I was bleary. So she had to FedEx my laptop to Anaheim, okay, Um which was luckily the only spot I was in two days, um, you know, Wednesday and Thursday. So it got there Thursday morning. 
but that was something that was a complete curveball, which I'm, you're the first one I'm telling that to. And then, and then the other one that I knew was going to happen, which was there's not a direct flight, uh, at least not on American, which is the main carrier or Delta. Uh, maybe there was Southwest. I don't know. I didn't even check, but I don't think so. From Kansas City to Louisville. So even though our graphic shows me darting across, um, I had to go through Dallas. And uh, so that was just not fun because that was like a 6 a.m. or Saturday morning after leaving Friday night, the arena at like 1230 in like a monsoon in Kansas City. And then the only direct flight in the earlier part of the day from Louisville to D.C. is at 6 a.m. So after leaving Saturday night in Louisville at like 1230 or whatever it was, we had to go 6 a.m. Louisville to D.C. and arrive in D.C. at like 745 in the morning. When the game wasn't until five. Uh, so that was exhausting, but all the, you know, but all worth it. All right. So minor complications, disaster mostly averted. Like it wasn't like yes. the Detroit airport was shut down when we were right, up in right, Michigan right, right. and you had to drive. So nothing like that. That's good. Um, so yeah, not only did the travel go right, but like you said, the, the order of sites you visited pretty much laid out perfectly. You saw all the biggest drama. Um, I mean, Anaheim at least from a Big Ten perspective, it was kind of a dud. But you, you did see, once you got to uh, to KC, you saw Auburn rallying around Chumo, Kiki in the locker room there, and then witnessed two, I think, of two of the greatest, I think, uh, elite eight games of all time, in my opinion, between Purdue and Virginia and Duke and MSU. So let's start with anything that I might have glossed over, kind of talking about Anaheim and KC there. Was there anything that, that popped up at those first two sites before the uh, two legendary games that is worth discussing? Well, in, you know, in the first one in Anaheim, I mean, one, uh, and you'll appreciate this from a social perspective, you know, I'd done, I interviewed Chris Bird a bunch, and we did these, uh, you know, his, he's had this whole social media thing that's been a hit, these fireside chats, kind of a mocking, almost like a Wayne's World kind of thing, or between two ferns is probably more appropriate. But, and so I did like those in the locker room, so we had a fun bit with that, Um Disappointing from a Big Ten perspective because I really thought if it wasn't going to be Gonzaga, it was going to be Michigan. And Michigan just compl- – I mean, I had never seen them perform so poorly offensively. Um, so that really was a shocker uh, because, as you know, we saw them throughout the course of the season and that group has been together for two years. So that was kind of a dud, as, as you said. And then, and then the next night in Kansas City, the emotion of Auburn – um, being able to win that game without Okiki, him getting hurt. We had great access in the locker room, so we were there, and it was the only locker room I went into where there wasn't a celebration because he had just gotten hurt, and there was more of a, you know, a, a prayer communal kind of thing, and it was very subdued. So that was obviously not expected, but um, still, you know, uh, a great... Um, you know, just a great comeback by Auburn in terms of to still hold on to that lead without Okiki. And then, of course, those next two on Saturday Sunday were just unbelievably epic. Yeah, I saw the Chris Beard fireside chats. He kind of drew the fire on a, on a whiteboard behind him. Yes, we had a – we actually – you know, it's funny. We literally were, like, in the hallway, and I was like, I can't draw. Can anyone draw? And, you know, at these events, there's so many volunteers. There's so many people work them. Um, and so we were like, hey, can anyone draw on this woman? And her name's Chelsea. 
She's like, yeah, I'm a pretty good artist. And so we like literally brought her into the locker room, like, hey, can you try a fire? So she started going, and we're like, oh, yeah, this is really good. Keep going. She's like, you want it darker? And so uh, it was really good how we just sort of corralled this person in there. There you go, resourceful. And I always like when coaches, you know, want to play along and don't mind giving some of their time to do that fun social stuff. It's always good. Maybe well, we'll get the some- greatest thing was that, um, you know, after the game, he was all into it, too. Oh, the one thing I will just say, and this is why, you, you know me, Alex, I like, I love just meeting people. And, um, you know, I had, a, I, I really enjoyed talking to Killian Tilly's parents because a little sidebar on that, that would have gotten more play nationally had they won. They had literally shown up from France every time he'd gotten hurt. And, uh, you know, he's been hurt a lot. And literally, it'd be every time they came. So the running joke was, hey, they shouldn't come. And then they felt like they should go at least to the Sweet 16. And they were lucky that he, you know, was able to play and not get hurt. So, um, you know, but, you know, just great. The dad's actually the national volleyball coach for France. Um, just really nice people. So that, that one, that's one aspect of March that I really love is getting to see other people and talk to people, you know, from all these different schools. And, and in our perspective in the Big Ten, um, you know, it was great just spinning ahead just a second here. Um, you know, the symmetry with the, with the Virginia win for going back to Wisconsin. I was there, total coincidence. I was working for ESPN then. It's actually my first year at ESPN, literally my first year in 2000. And um, I was in Albuquerque, total coincidence, for when Wisconsin beat Purdue to go to the Final Four. And so he, I saw that. Tony was like, I don't know what his title was, maybe grad assistant or something. He's getting the chairs out. And then for me to be there 19 years later, uh, you know, I'm dating myself, but at the same time, it's just a very cool thing. You know, personally, I was like, wow, this is really cool. I'm seeing both ends of it as Tony goes with Virginia and Dick is there, Dick Bennett. And then I was there. I just, you know, once again, I'm interviewing Dick Bennett and Tony comes over right at that moment to hug him. And it was just a very cool moment that I got to witness. And, you know, at the end of my interview with Dick Bennett, you know, cause he knows I went to Wisconsin and, you know, we've known each other a while, obviously through that. And, you know, and he says, Hey, go Badgers. Uh, so it just, it was, this is really cool connection to just bring all that full circle from 2000 to 2019. Yeah. We saw the go Badgers at the end. I was going to ask you about that. You, you already, you read my mind and, uh, it jumped ahead, like you said. But that's definitely a cool story with, uh, you know, the Bennett's and you saw the emotion on Tony Bennett's face when he was cutting the nets down I know Purdue fans, uh, it's probably still very raw and sore, but, uh, you know, we got to talk about what was an incredible all-time game, probably like top three game that I've seen, one of the those legendary Elite Eight performances. Um, and I talked to a friend, a coworker who was there, and he said it was 95% Purdue fans. You know, like I said, he's a Boilers fan, so I don't know if he's like embellishing that, that no, figure at all. all. Yeah, what was that environment like, and, and what was, is that estimate accurate for you? Yeah, I mean, there was literally only one section that was Virginia. Um, I mean, you could see one little section was orange. Everything else was black and gold. And, oh, I want to also tell you that um, I had a, such a moving interview and discussion with um, the Trents. Mm-hmm. So they were there, um, you know, Tyler Trent's parents and brother. And it was just so warm to talk to them and, um, you know, they're, you know, everyone always has talked about how inspirational Tyler wa- was and will be, and all that is 100% true. 
But I think sometimes we forget about how inspirational the parents are because of what they had to endure and are still enduring with the loss of their son, which is, you know, unexplainable to those emotions. And so that was so wonderful to talk to them. And, you know, just, and then we did an interview and it was great. Um, but yes, to your point, that crowd was Mackie South. I mean, I love Mackie Arena. It's the best. And this was when they, like, when he hit, when Carson Edwards hit the bank to three, I mean, that was as loud. That's going to be top five loudest, like, moments in an arena I've ever heard. It was deafening. And, you know, the, the fact that he didn't win uh, is obviously disheartening for Purdue fans. But the way in which they lost, I do think, as, as Carson Edwards almost acknowledged to Mamadi Diakite, it's almost like you have to say, oh, my God, like, I, you know, got to tip your hat. If we're going to lose or go into overtime, that's the way. You want it to be something special. And the pass shot to end regulation is going to go down as one of the craziest, wildest endings ever because, you know, you've got a freshman in Clark who looks off Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy who are open, and you would think he would pass them, and that would have been like a long heave three likely not to go in, and instead he fires a bullet pass to Diakite, who has the presence in a split second to get the shot off to tie the game into regulation. It just it was mind-boggling how all that played out because that all occurred because of a missed free-throw tap-out. Yeah, you've seen a lot of college hoops, obviously. Where does that game, and, and considering Carson Edwards' 42-point performance is kind of folded in and baked into all that, where does it rank all time? Because for me, it's up there with you know Illinois, Arizona, 05, Michigan, uh, Kansas in 2013, those type of performances. Where, where does it rank for you? Well, for me, I agree with you. But like actually being in the arena, I think it's got to be – I'd have to really think about it. I mean, if it's not one, it's 1A, 1B, 1C or something like that because I watched those other two games, but I wasn't in the arena. I mean, that, that Illinois, Arizona Elite Eight game in Chicago was – that has to be one of the greatest Elite Eight games ever. And I did, but I wasn't there. Uh, I was at some other site that time. And so, uh, but I watched it. Um, so, but that was unbelievably epic. And I would put this one, you know, right there. For sure. Moving on now, uh, you know, you think that's going to be kind of the, <laughs> the uh, experience of the weekend, but, but Michigan State and Duke – Tried to outdo it in D.C. It wasn't as thrilling of a game, but you don't want to downplay it because it was still an insane, crazy game. And I want to get your thoughts on uh, the Spartans edging the Blue Devils. I mean, I thought Michigan State outcoached Duke. I thought they outplayed Duke, obviously. And it was the resilience that was really most impressive to me. I mean, they went down, I think, 30-21 to 21 in the first half. Duke made a few runs, and then they were down three with just over a minute left when Duke kind of had one last push. What did you see there on the ground, and, and how did that uh, environment – I just, I guess, cap it off uh, for you with a pretty cool weekend. Yeah, so the environment was great because it was actually much more 50-50. Um, you know, Duke obviously draws very well in the tournament, especially in the Northeast. So they had a great showing. And then Michigan State, very impressed with their showing. Um, you know, Spartan fans travel. There's also a lot of Spartan fans on the East Coast. Uh, which, by the way, sidebar, it, you know, continues to tell me which i already knew which is i mean look i'm from new england and i went to a big 10 school i know so many people 
from the Northeast who went to Big Ten schools. And so there's a ton of alums. And this was another great example where, and, you know, I don't want to get into the minutia of should they be in the East or the Midwest or whatever, but there were a ton. I mean, I'm going to tell you, it was at least half Michigan State, if not more, of fans. And so they couldn't have all flown from Michigan, um, you know, in terms of them being in the area. So the atmosphere was great. Uh, we're standing at 12-0 Duke run in that first half. And the way they came back, and then Cassius Winston was an All-American the way he normally is. And um, uh, the play, uh, to, you know, to win it with Kenny Goins hitting the three, it just you can't write that script, the fact that he's the guy that ends up being the one. Um, and, and just like, you just could feel the such joy for Michigan State after everything they've gone through to get back to the Final Four, and, you know, they had to knock off the Goliath to do it, which I think made it even more satisfying for everyone involved. I mean, this is, you, you take Langford and Ward first fell and then Arns, those kind of players off a team. I mean, I know Arns was a rotation guy, but, you know, most teams wouldn't be able to, you know, compete for a championship in their league, let alone get to a Final Four. And they were able to do it. And, and then, you know, what I love is seeing sort of witness – to a lot of these special moments. And I said about the Bennetts, I saw another great one with, with Tom Izzo and his son, Steven, um, you know, his initial hug. And then like the hug turned into a sob of just, you know, an emotionally happy sob. And, you know, I, I like, it choked me up. I'm watching, I mean, I'm the dad and I'm watching, you know, Tom just hugging Steven, his son. And I know these, you know, there's so many sacrifices that these, families go through because a lot of coaches end up spending more time with their players than their own kids just by the nature of the beast and so it was just it was really touched my heart and it was just a beautiful thing to just you know watch the two of them um just embrace like that yeah steven was emotional here in chicago when they won the big 10 tournament i didn't know who he was at the time uh fans had to tell me that that was coaches O's son but yeah it, it had the same effect on me it was just cool to see you know kind of that sacrifice and and the uh, accomplishment kind of pouring out of them in, in the ensuing celebration. So that's cool. Uh, speaking of Tom Izzo, I want to get your thoughts on where this coaching performance overall ranks uh, in relation to you know his career and, and maybe some other high-profile coaches, like you said, with the injuries and all the adversity they've faced this year. It's got to be one of his best coaching jobs ever, and you know that probably extends, at least in my opinion, to all of college basketball and, and you know all-time coaching performances yeah i mean you know i i hate to say like it's his best because you know i, I don't feel like i'm you know uh authoritative enough to say um you know what defines a best coaching job i'm not there every day so i can't tell you that but i will tell you i think it's his most challenging because of those injuries and because of the expectations and because of what he could attain you know with this particular team and this year in the big 10 and so i think he did a marvelous job um, you know, obviously we know how great a job Matt Painter did. So it's hard to say, you know, who should be or whose was better, but he, he just did such a great job and the whole staff did of preparing guys, you know, to our point earlier, Xavier Tillman, Aaron Henry, um, aren't the players they are today if these injuries don't occur, but they were obviously prepared for that moment. The fact that Kenny Goins, you know, felt empowered to take that shot 
a lot of times guys in that position would be like, oh, I'm not supposed to see, you know, the one to, uh, to do that. Um, uh, you know, because it's not my role, but he's obviously been empowered to do that. So, um, you know, that, that's what I think is, you know, is great about that. All right. Awesome accomplishment for sure. Um, and I, and we'll be in Minneapolis in a couple of days here to take in the final four and take in, uh, you know, another big 10 representative two years in a row now. So let's talk about this final four and, start with the non-Big Ten game. Um, and although, you know, I kind of know a lot more about them and these teams now than I did a few weeks ago, I'm still not totally familiar with Auburn and Virginia. Um, you saw them up close and personal. They play contrasting styles, to say the least. So we'll start with that game. Uh, which style do you think will kind of play better in the Final Four going up against each other with Auburn's fast pace and, and Virginia's kind of slowed down, grinded out? Well, Virginia does a great job of taking away the three, and that's what Auburn does. So if they play their best game, you would think that Virginia should win. But the difference with – and Clark, you know, Keon Clark is a very good defender, and he's quick. But what I witnessed was Jared Harper's quickness at the point for Auburn is phenomenal. I mean, he just goes – he's like a little energizer bunny. How he just zips, you know, can get there so fast. And – um. So I think that that matchup will come down to whether or not Auburn can make tough threes because I think they're going to be contested. Like Carson Edwards, he was guarded, but he made great shots. Um, you know, he was guarded better by Virginia than Ryan Klein was by Tennessee. If John, you know, from the previous game where Klein went off, um, you know, Klein Klein still made tough shots, but he had a little more space. Uh, so that'll be, I think, the issue there. And for Texas Tech, Michigan State, um, you know, it's the best defense in the country. It's going to be a real physical game. Um, I like Michigan State there because of their size. I like the matchup at the point with Cassius. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, there's no quit in Texas Tech. They are a tough group, loose, and, but loose but tough. And Sneaky good on the perimeter. I mean, they got Edwards and Mooney and Moretti can all make shots. And if, if Michigan State's not out on them, like Gonzaga wasn't, uh, they'll bury them. And, you know, their number, well, what I noticed about them was it's not about, like, you can't just look at the stat sheet and say, oh, this guy was three for nine or whatever, or three for 12. It's when the shots come. They did a great job of making, you know, the big bucket at the right time to, to keep a run going, to break a, run to extend one it just felt like their timing was impeccable and uh you know that'll be something that michigan state will have, definitely have to watch yeah it's gonna be fun it's kind of a unique final four just with the uh two non-traditional schools maybe even three if you love virginia in there even though they've been good for quite some time now uh last question andy before i let you go we'll, we'll shift away from this season and the final four uh, i gotta ask you about fred hoiberg to nebraska what do you think about that hire for the Huskers. I know you're a big Tim Miles fan, but um, obviously Hoiberg's got quite the resume as well. Uh, let's hear some thoughts. All right. So first of all, Husker fans all over me, and I get it because of what I said at the Big Ten tournament. Um, and look, you know, and I would say know who you are and all that, which I still believe. Um, you know, I will say that Bill Moose, the athletic director, hadn't did not have a track record of pulling this off. You know, he hired Ernie Ken at Washington State. That didn't work out. He had gone sort of the retread route, okay? Um, and I'll be honest. I was surprised Fred Hoiberg wanted it. And I'm not saying that negatively about Nebraska. I'm saying that more because 
I expected Fred to probably stay in the NBA or maybe go to a place like UCLA. So this surprised me uh, in a good way. I think it's great for the Big Ten. It's great for Nebraska. And I also would tell you that the Nebraska job now is much better than when Tim Miles got there because they're much more relevant, even though they didn't have some big national stage. I feel like they had more of a personality with Tim. People knew about them. Um, you know, they they were they obviously finished fourth last year, even though they didn't get in. Uh, you know, the year before the season. Um, but I think he will. You know, will he be? What he will he do? What he did at Iowa State, possibly. The difference, though, is in the Big Twelve, Kansas has always won. But I will tell you that two on down is always wide open in the Big 12. And I think the stats back that up. In the Big 10, Michigan State, Michigan, you know, you could argue for the most part Purdue now, Indiana, Ohio State. um, I would put Maryland, because of their recruiting base, as a top six, okay, Wisconsin has obviously had an unbelievable run lately in the last decade. Okay, that's seven. Uh, then the question is, is Iowa and Nebraska, like, like to me, that's your seven, uh, where I think that'll be your consistently good seven. So now if you're Iowa, Nebraska, Illinois, you got to crack that group. Can you crack it on a regular basis? We'll see. But that's a, that's a deeper group to crack than what Iowa State had in the Big 12. That's my only that's my only caveat there. Yeah, expecting a lot of transfers. And, you know, Nebraska had kind of gone that route with Miles, but like we saw with Hoiberg's uh, approach at Iowa State, we'll uh, probably see some infusion of talent that, that has uh, played elsewhere. So right. good thoughts there, Andy. Um, I will see you in Minneapolis in a couple days. Yes. Should be fun and even better – News, the forecast looks pretty good. It doesn't look like we're going to be freezing in April up there. It looks like 50s and 60s. I'll we'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. And uh, should be a fun weekend. And um, I'm sure we'll get some good stuff out there. Looking forward to it. All right, thanks, Alex. All right, thanks once again to Andy for joining me. He's been killing it all year, the past two years, really, for us at BTN. And uh, excited to see him catch up at the Final Four. And I thought, in my opinion, it was cool to hear just his travel stories of, of making that many games in that many days and kind of hearing some of the stuff behind the scenes like losing the laptop something that I would totally do for getting that at home and uh, you know having the crazy flight connections because of the stupid Max 8 scandal with uh, <laughs> the Boeing plane so anyway cool behind the scenes stuff from Andy cool basketball analysis as always and we'll keep it moving now by getting to our stat head discussion with Harold Shelton Mr. Sparty himself hops on breaks down Michigan State's run and we preview the final four as well. Let's get right to it. It's BTN's discussion with Harold Shelton. It starts right now. All right, very pleased to be joined once again by BTN researcher, stat head Harold Shelton. He's a very happy man. H, congrats, your Spartans did it. Yes, they did. I'm still flying high. Kind of hard to believe that they got over that new hurdle, but they did it. Yeah, I mean, going back to a few weeks ago when the bracket came out and we talked about how MSU may or may not have been put in, you know, an unfavorable position with Duke in their bracket. It didn't matter. 
they're able to overcome the Blue Devils. But um, what's really remarkable to me, let's just go back to the beginning as we kind of dissect this Final Four run, is how it did not start off very promising for Michigan State. I mean, Bradley came out, kind of took a swing at them. There was a drama with Aaron Henry and Tom Izzo. Uh, MSU kind of squeaked that one out. So when you were watching that game, did you think you'd be sitting here two and a half weeks later looking at hotels from Minneapolis, essentially? Uh, so it's funny when you look back, I think it was a two-point game at the end of four timeout with Bradley. Mm-hmm. And you're just kind of, as a fan, you're like, I've seen this movie before. Let's not do this again. You know, the last time they were two and won the Big Ten tournament, you know, they, they got upset by Middle Tennessee. Uh, but I figured if they can get through that one, that the jitters would be out and you don't have that cloud hanging over you about the last time you received it this high that you lost early. So once they got through that, I felt pretty comfortable with the Minnesota matchup. Um, I thought they beat LSU. I was very surprised at the low turnovers that they had mm-hmm. in that game because I know LSU is a very athletic team that you know likes to speed you up and cause chaos. Uh, but you know Michigan State controlled that for most of the way, and then the fact that they were able to only turn it over seven times against Duke, like that was, I mean, I think those two performances with the low turnovers were the reason why they're still playing. Yeah, and at the time we kind of bemoaned it a little bit, especially as a conference that Minnesota and Michigan State had to match up in the round of 32. But now I'm looking back and wondering if getting that familiarity and playing conference team kind of got their feet under them a little bit. Yeah, I definitely think it helped. And obviously from the Minnesota standpoint, the fact that Jordan Murphy really couldn't go after the first three minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, it takes away their best rebounder and they got killed on the glass after that. Uh, You know, I definitely think that that, you know, hurt them. But from the Michigan State perspective, you know, you played them once, uh, you know, you beat them by 20, they lose their best player, second best player. And at that point, you just, you put the foot on the gas, try not to let it up. You know, for a little bit there, Minnesota got it to nine, and then Winston had his own personal 7-0 to push it back. And I think from there, the you know it was pretty comfortable to wrestle away. I do think that familiarity helped Michigan State, but it hurt Minnesota. All right, so we can talk the Duke game and the preview of the Final Four here in just a second, but I want to reflect a little bit about the conference as a whole. I think they showed out pretty well. I mean, eight teams, and, and there was only one – really ugly showing that was Wisconsin um Iowa and Maryland were in thrilling games I think some of the best games of the tournament and and they almost made the sweet 16 they had big 10 had three sweet 16 teams two elite eight and got one to the final four so I think the the other darling of the tournament for the big 10 obviously was Purdue um what they were able to do against Tennessee giving us what looked at the time like the game of the year and then they topped that uh even though the result wasn't in their favor against um Virginia I just want to reflect on their run a little bit and as a you know close follower and a Big Ten employee and just you know observer of Big Ten sports how you felt watching Purdue come so close and uh, ultimately fall short you know I was rooting for Purdue like it was Michigan State like right when a team hasn't gone in the final four in nearly 40 years and you know, they packed that place. It sounded like Mackey South in Louisville. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that, you know, Carson Edwards is hitting shots from all over the place. And, you know, they had a big lead, and it looks like Virginia's going to pull away, and then Purdue gets it back, and Carson banks in that three toward the end of regulation, and you're thinking, like, okay, yeah. like, they're going to do this. And the have it slip away the way that it did, like, I was hurting for them. Yeah. And, you know, 
personally, like obviously it would have been awesome for Purdue to go and then have Michigan State go and you have the Big Ten well represented, but it also would have been nice to just knock out two ACC one seeds, consider how much we heard about the three ACC ones and a potential all ACC Final Four. It would have been great to have two Big Ten and no ACC. Yeah, and I'll preface this comment by saying credit to Virginia. Like, obviously a great program, a great team this year, and uh, it seems like Tony Bennett's doing everything right at Virginia. Watching them and rooting for Purdue to beat them was so frustrating because Virginia reminded me of when I was in college, like, playing at the gym, the rec center, against, like, just the disciplined guys that you can tell have been playing. Like, they they all went to the same high school and would run their sets and, like, always be in the right spot. And would always have the, the right cut, or like when a offensive rebound would come off, they would always be in the perfect position. And you see why it's been so successful. It honestly, even though I knew what they were about, it surprised me at just how precise they were in everything. And you don't expect people that look like you know short six foot guards like Kyle Guy um, or Ty Jerome to necessarily burn you. But they came out and got the job done. And the no-look pass to Diakite for the – I mean, that is – can you imagine making a no-look pass in that situation? I mean, the fact that, you know, the ball gets tipped all the way into the Mm backcourt, you're scrambling, you know, a freshman in that spot picks the ball up and, you know, would you have been shocked if he just tossed one up from half court knowing that the clock was running down? I mean, a lot of people probably would have in that situation. But to have that pinpoint pass to Diakite – so he can catch it high and let it go pretty much in one motion and to get it over a seven foot three guy with his arms up. I mean, that's just a crazy, crazy sequence of events, and it, unfortunately it went against them. And when I saw it get tipped out that far, I thought there's no way they'd be able to get a, a quality look off. Maybe they went on a heave, but there's no way that they can tie. Essentially, the game's over. Right. Back up before that, you see Purdue's win probability. If you go back and look at the uh, fluctuations of that game, it was at 97% when Klein was going to the line for two free throws. And, you know, Klein, they're not they're not even there with without him, without right. his epic performance against Tennessee and, and the shots he was able to hit. But they just need that one more, and the yep. game's probably over. And it's just – I'm not a Purdue fan, but I, I know that mindset. And, like you said, being that long, it's just – it's tough because they were so close. And, and I really did feel bad for Purdue fans, even though – it was a great accomplishment for them to make it this far. Right, and I mean, they played so well, and the fact that they were able to kind of get over that hump where, you know, they kept losing in the Sweet 16, mm-hmm. and Matt Painter finally broke through, and, you know, they played this ridiculous game against Tennessee, and people get to see what a good coach Painter is, and if they get to that Final Four, it's like the ultimate breakthrough, you know, mm-hmm. 40 years of frustration, and you can get the right amount of respect. Cause Elite Eight is definitely nice, but people don't view it the same as getting to the Final Weekend. And I really wanted that for Purdue. Same. And nothing to be ashamed of for them, like we said, uh, especially since we sat here, and especially me, I doubted them when they were, you know, barely 500. And for them to not only win the Big Ten, but be on the doorstep of the Final Four, really huge achievement for them. So, uh, hat tip to them. Uh, All right, let's talk about the team that did make it now. We touched on it. Your alma mater, the Spartans, um, you know, slayed Goliath, essentially. Everyone kind of thought that Duke would be in the Final Four um, with Zion Williamson's kind of big year would all come together in Minneapolis. Uh, obviously, that did not happen. How do you think MSU did it? Because for a while there, um, looked a little wobbly, but they were able to never get down by too much. And when it counted most, they were able to draw up and execute. So It's weird with Michigan State. They kind of have this mantra of if it ain't rough, it ain't right. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, they had the lead early. Duke hit him with an overhand right to go up nine. And, you know, you go to that timeout, and you're like, ah, oh, I don't know. You know, I've seen this movie before. Kind of felt one, like they blew their chance to right. open it up there. Yeah. Like, you're 1-11 against Duke. You know, you start thinking about all that stuff as a fan. And then they fire back with a 13-0 run in the half to go up four. And you're mm-hmm. like, okay, they're going to be in this the whole way. And just back and forth it went. You know, they pretty much just allowed Zion and Barrett to do the scoring. I mean, Reddish didn't do much at all. Trey Jones was a complete non-factor. Right. Uh, O'Connell and White were absolutely zero. Nothing. Yeah. Uh, you know, Delorier hurt them a little bit on the glass. And, you know, he had three blocks and some, some dump-off layups and stuff. So, But outside of, you know, Zion and Barrett, it wasn't much from Duke. And I think that's kind of you know, how you had to do it. We know Duke couldn't shoot the three. You kind of packed the paint in, help off, you know, Trey and uh, Delorier when you can to double Zion. I thought even though he had 24 and 14, it didn't feel like he was dominating mm-hmm. the game. And the fact that R.J. Barrett loves to play hero ball in certain situations was very advantageous uh, for the Spartans. All right, played right into their favor. And I was kind of saying in the first half, even though Michigan State looked pretty good, I was like, oh, they got to get a little more from Goins. They got to get yep. a little more from McQuaid. Um, ended up, you know, both of them stepped up, and especially Goins obviously called his number. And that's a situation where – especially after the game he had. I mean, he, he did turn it on a little bit in the second half, but in the first half he was broke. That just, I think, speaks to, you know, how they didn't have to go to Cassius Winston. Izzo was confident in drawing up a play, especially for a guy like Goins, who is a senior. I don't know if that surprised you or when, when you saw that play developing, what you thought of it, but uh, <laughs> it was it was pretty, uh, pretty risky, I thought. Well, it's funny because I like, read in some of the articles, the play wasn't supposed to be for him. Okay. And so, you know, it was supposed to be a lob to Tillman, and Winston was kind of, you know, be a decoy yeah. and set a screen. And once he kind of got in Zion's way a little bit, Goins popped out and got the pass from Tillman, and he just said, look, I'm going to shoot it. Right. It is what it is. I'll live with it. You know, he hadn't had a good game. He was one for seven from three before that shot. Mm-hmm. So for him to have the guts, knowing he hasn't played well, hasn't really had a good tournament at all, to let it fly with that kind of confidence to slay Goliath. I mean, that's, you know, a walk on, you know, making the three over the number one overall pick. Like, that's college <laughs> basketball, yeah, right? That's uh, And beyond that, I mean, obviously there's been a ton of storylines this season. Um the Izzo thing kind of dominated for a couple weeks with the the yelling at Aaron Henry, but I, I just like how this team has just been so likable all year. I mean, after this weekend, some stories were out there about Gabe Brown and and how he pays tribute to his dad and misses his dad who uh, passed away recently. Goins obviously being the walk on and, and um, coming from a family that literally took out a loan so he could play college ball. Kyle Arns going down in the Big Ten Tournament Championship game and them rallying around him and Josh Langford kind of all year round. I just want to get your thoughts on, since you're a fan, um, where these guys rank. It's on, you know, your likability scale. Because, you know, we all have those teams that, that we follow and sometimes they're, they're great and everything comes together and sometimes you're like, you know, this team is good, but they're super frustrating. So where do these guys rank? Because from afar, I'm having a great time following them. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say exactly where they rank because they still got a couple games to play, hopefully. True, yeah. Um, but in terms of likability, I mean, they're 
probably up there with the the 09 team for me. I mean, I was a, a teenager when they won the won the whole thing. So while I liked that team, I didn't follow it nearly as closely as mm-hmm. I do now. Um, that 09 team was special. You know, got all the way to the title game, got to play pretty much at home for the Final Four. Right. So that's something I'll always remember. Uh, but I mean, this team is probably the most mentally tough team that Izzo's had. He pretty much admitted that after the game. You know, obviously it's not as physically imposing as some others, maybe not as deep as some others, but they never panic. I think a lot of that has to do with the senior leadership from Goins and McQuaid, and you got, you know, cool hand Luke with Cassius Winston yeah. at the point kind of controlling everything. So, you know, hopefully there's a storybook ending Monday night. Uh, if not, it's still been a great success, you know, to have Big Ten tournament, Big Ten regular season, get to the Final Four to beat Duke. You know, it's it's been a great run so far. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Cassius there because we barely talked about him. Like, honestly, it's all, he's almost the main story that we overlook because he's so consistent. I've never seen, I don't think, somebody who's so, like, just under control kind of at all times. Um, he's done it all year long pretty much, only one or two slip-ups throughout the year. He's always got the ball on a string. He knows how to kind of feel out the defense. He's not physically overwhelming but can still create his own shot. I don't know how he does it. He's just a phenomenal player. Um, I don't even know what he compares to. Yeah, I want to say Kenny Smith made the comparison to Sherman Douglas mm-hmm. from Syracuse. I could see that kind of a, you know similar games where it's old man game. You know, Raftery says you know he kind of meanders to the he bucket. Does. It's not yeah. a blow by, but you know for whatever reason he always seems to have a step on a guy. I mean, we saw that you know with the game winner in the Big Ten tournament where he's able to get it over. You know, seven one John Teske at the rack. You know, he just finds a way. Um, you know, he's been clutch to have twenty points, ten assists, and one turnover against you know hounding ball pressure from Trey Jones mm-hmm. and that Duke team. I mean, that speaks volumes. And you know, when they were down nine and they were wobbly, he kind of knew like, okay, it's my time to get us back into this. Okay, now we're back in it. Let me get the rest of the guys involved. He kind of seems to sense the moment and you know make the plays that need to be made. Yeah, Izzo called him the Tom Brady of uh, college basketball, I think. So, pretty apt comparison there. Uh, before we wrap up, let's preview the Final Four. Saturday night, the late game. We saw what Texas Tech can do. Um, they really surprised me with just how rock solid they've been. I mean, they haven't really even been pushed in the, in the tournament too much. The Gonzaga game, I guess, was kind of close, but they, they handled them pretty well. Blew out Michigan, and uh, obviously Michigan State's had their success against Michigan this year, but you know those games were uh, the transitive property is not great to use in basketball. But obviously Michigan State was not a blowout any of the three times that they won. So how does uh, MSU avoid the same fate that Michigan uh, put up with against Texas Tech? I think the good thing for Michigan State is that they've played a couple of ball pressure teams mm-hmm. in LSU and Duke to kind of get them ready for this moment. Um, you know, we saw how great Texas Tech's defense was. They held Michigan to 44 points in the Sweet 16 game, which is crazy. Um, you know, they're the number one defense in the country, according to Kempom. I see uh, no no arguments there. Right. Um, and, you know, they like to force a lot of turnovers. And so, you know, they guard, they switch everything. They're really athletic. Uh, I think if Michigan State could take care of the ball the way they did the last two games, you know, they should be fine. Uh, you know, Winston should be able to run the show. You know, Aaron Henry going Jared Culver will definitely be a matchup I'll be looking for um, in terms of if he can slow him down or yep. not. 
and you know they're gonna have to get some shots from McQuaid and Goins. I mean, they were kind of quiet in D.C. outside of Goins' big three, but we haven't really seen McQuaid have a good game the whole tournament. Not really since the tournament title game in uh, Chicago. Exactly. So, you know, another low possession type of game. I mean, Tech will want to run, and if they if Michigan State turns it over, they will run a lot. Mm-hmm. But if they can cut down on the turnovers and make that a half-court game and run when they can, they should be all right. If we can get another Matt McQuaid dunk, That'd I'll enjoy awesome. that. <laughs> I did or, not see that one coming. Or the crazy layup. I'm fine. Yeah, that. yeah, those two, those two <laughs> plays. I mean, he didn't, he didn't sh- shoot the lights out, but those two are going to be on the, uh, the championship plays, championship sure. DVD if they ended up winning it all. So. Absolutely. All right, well, obviously Virginia and Auburn, um, two contrasting styles. We can worry about that when MSU, if MSU gets there, hopefully they do. Texas Tech obviously is the uh, – the looming challenge right now so h hope to see you up in minneapolis uh congrats again on a, on a great season and hopefully we can sit down pretty soon here and reflect on a first big 10 title national title in 19 years yeah i hope so man uh hopefully there's two more games to be played and hopefully the big 10 wins both all right we'll be watching all right thanks h all right thanks again to h for joining me always good stuff from him hope his spartans can pull it off obviously get that first Big Ten National Championship in nearly two decades. So, see him soon, and we'll move it along now to our final segment. It's Colleen Degnan's Call for Culture segment. You've heard it before. A lot of sports talk, pop culture talk, a lot of uh, meaningless bracket talk, and I say meaningless because we're ranking things that are totally subjective in a March Madness style way. So, keep listening, and uh, you'll get the gist of it. It's our Call for the Culture segment, and it starts right now. All right, after a week or so away, we are back with another Call for the Culture segment. It's Alex Rue alongside producer, co-host, Colleen Degnan. Colleen, welcome back. Thank you, thank you. Have you been? Um, I've been well. I've been better, but I've been well. Okay. Sounds like my kind of spring mood when it's, you know, still chilly and... You can kind of taste spring, but I feel like we said this for a month or so now. It's just not quite here yet. At this point, yeah, the temps are fluctuating. It's typical spring in Chicago, so yeah, we could be better, but we've definitely been worse. So, and other people are worse. Okay, breaking news. Yeah, I was gonna say some topical news right now. This literally just broke right before we hopped in the studio. Um, the um, Alliance of American Football, <laughs> the AAF, is no more. RIP AAF. The league is decided to discontinue operations, uh, I guess, a- immediately. Um, do you have any sort of... That's probably got to be the shortest stint of any... I don't know. There's been a lot of, like, you know, kind of leagues that have popped up here and there and have folded. But, yeah, I thought they'd at least get one season in. I don't right? know. Do you have any eulogy you want to deliver? Any memories from the AAF? I mean, it makes anybody's New Year's resolution look a little better. If you could outlast the AAF, you can really do anything. <laughs> that is true. That's a good point. Yeah, like, there's been so many of these leagues that have tried to either compete with the NFL or at least be like a development league for it or try and command the offseason like spring and summer and for like that first weekend it looked like the AF might have a shot I feel like the ratings were pretty good people were intrigued it was the weekend after the Super Bowl so people still had that football appetite but then kind of predictably like people's viewing habits just fell off people realized like this is not good football and no one really wanted to watch maybe it just needs to shorten its season down to that like week and a half 10 day <laughs> golden period yes one game and then the playoffs and then the AF bowl so and then it's done a little unfortunate because like you had Johnny Football um, just getting involved and he was kind of must see TV if you're still into that whole 
soap opera and there were some compelling storylines they had some good ideas i think with like the replay cameras and some of the marketing ploys they did but now i think we're just have to wait for the the xfl when that launches us another alternative (laughs) league so but yeah so sorry to anybody involved yeah it's, it's too bad but um and other professional sports news, uh, it was a big week for you, the one we missed, so we'll have to talk about this now because I don't want to <sighs> gloss over it. We can't. Tell me about your big week, actually your big evening. Um, last week it was, right? Yes, last Wednesday. What happened? I went to the Trailblazers game. It was incredible. Anybody that knows me knows that I invested back in October, late October. I wanted to take stake in an NBA team because, per usual, which we also saw happen, the Badgers basketball team broke my heart. And not that surprising fashion. Not a great showing from them. Really not a great showing. And this is exactly why back in October I was like, I need to pick a team so that when my team does end up losing way too early on in the NCAA tournament, I'll have something to fall back on. And I chose the Trailblazers because at the time they had a really good Big Ten conglomeracy. It's kind of been traded away some, but now I'm just too far in it. Love all the players. Love the coach. So this is the first season you're really a Blazers fan? Yes, this okay. is the first season. And you went to the Blazers-Bulls game, so you yes, didn't go to Portland. Uh, no, no, no. I went just down to the street. The, just down the street. United the Center. But it was Great incredible. job. Great job by the Blazers. Uh, great win. Great loss for the Bulls. Uh, we need the tank <laughs> to get Zion Williamson. So I was rooting for the Blazers with you. Uh any highlights from the game? Um, I got asked if I was from Portland a couple times, mm-hmm. and so I got to give this lovely spiel of, no, I'm not, but then here's why I am a fan. Um, my roommate and I had a blast. Cool. It was a great Wednesday night activity. Sad that Nurk is like, you know. Ooh, like broke his leg the na- day before God, or whatever. It was that like was his rough. left, what, tibia and fibula or yeah. whatever. Ball, I'm glad he was wearing one of those leg sleeves because you could see the bone coming out. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah. Too but, crazy for me. Yeah, but with the, with the whole uh, Blazers thing, like you said... <laughs> This is their one chance to see him. Are you going to go on the road, see any road I mean, games? Hey, ever? maybe if they, they well, they are Milwaukee. They, they, they clinched a playoff spot, so TBD. They can play in Milwaukee, maybe. The, yeah, I would for sure go up to the the, what, the Pfizer Forum. Pfizer Forum, yeah, new arena. So, did you notice at the Bulls game? I'm curious because the first thing I've noticed, I've only been to a few. It was um, also my first Bulls game, so it, yeah. was a, it was a big night. I've been to a few over the years, but one thing I, that jumps out at me and the thing they do really well with the Bulls is like no matter how good or bad the team is, the marketing in that arena for those games is always on point. Like, the mascots are great. Benny the Bull is, like, the best mascot in all of sports. The lighting with the intro well, videos and everything is great. I was going to say, the intro video was the, so dramatic. The music is amazing. Yeah, the Bulls intro video. The Bulls video, are, like, running through it's Chicago, iconic. down the loop, like, through the, like... Yeah, that's iconic. That goes, that goes back to, like, the MJ <laughs> days with the, uh... The you know, the intro's music. Oh, my God, stop. So, <laughs> what is no matter... Everyone knows what I'm talking about if they've... <laughs> been to one bowl or heard you know any sort of bowls music over the years that was like the jordan music the intro i don't even remember that but i know that's one thing that's carried over but yeah like amazing marketing at any bowls game hawks do a really good job too i, I just didn't know if you like picked up on that or if you're just too into the blazers i mean i was 100 percent cheering for the blazers i actually had a few blazers fans around me okay so i um was able to be vocal and not given any side eyes so and like great. to be honest probably Half the Bulls fans in there were rooting with you for the Bulls. So. <laughs> you could tell I, everyone was in red and black. <laughs> I, I was following that game because you were texting me from it, so I wanted to actually like see how it went. And I think the starting lineup for the Bulls that night, like three of the guys I'd never heard of, uh-huh. and that's it was just like full on tank mode. Um, props to them for finally just like shutting everyone down and, and putting you, putting guys off the street into the starting lineup. Do you think full on tank mode is going to pay off? Probably not. The Bulls will probably get like the fifth or sixth pick and be stuck with. Not Zion Williamson or Ja Morant, who I, those are the only two that I can think that I think can really uh, resurrect the, the franchise in the short term. 
Um, but you never know. We'll have to see. They got Derrick Rose and the number one pick on like a yeah whatever like three percent chance or whatever it was. So not giving up yet. But um, in other professional sports news in Chicago and around the country. The AAF died, so Major League Baseball could live right <laughs> <Yeah>. now. Uh, <laughs> Only so many sports to go around, apparently. ML- MLB is back. Uh, Which was op- kind of a lame start, I'm not going to lie. It's been a lame start for our favorite team, but also, like, it's just weird that it was on a Thursday. Yeah. You know? It opened on and then it stops, last Thursday. And then it comes back. Yeah, they have the, the off days to kind of offset the potential rainouts. So, like, all right, it's opening day on Thursday, but then there a lot of teams are off the next day. Yeah. And the Cubs are off again today. And um, also, it's cold, so like it's yeah, not it baseball f- weather. Doesn't feel like baseball season. So opening day in Chicago is not till next Monday, the eighth. Right. 8th. Right. Um, but yeah, our Cubbies are not looking too hot. Um, I'm worried. I don't know about you. I mean, la- the la- last night's loss against the Braves was not cute. It was historic in how really bad it was. Not cute. I think they made six errors in a game for the first time in at least 10 years, like 13 years, something like that. Did you see the reaction of the girl's face? Yes, that was perfect. That was amazing. I didn't watch much of the game, but (laughs) I saw that error, and that was pretty much what... That's good. I was like, that's going to be a meme. That's pretty much what I was doing at home. Not good, though. Like, I I don't know. I mean, mean, it's what, the first first week of play. Yeah, you never... I mean, it's so early. Baseball has so many games, but your Wisconsin girl went to Wisconsin. The Brewers are... Still scary from last year. I'm like so not a Brewers fan. Just so we can clear the record, I will never cheer for the Brewers. Were there a lot of Brewers fans at, at Madison? Yes, because Wisconsin only has one professional team per right. sport. But there were a lot of Cubs fans up there too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you had a lot of like the Chicago kids up there. But okay. um, yeah, the Brewers looked. It. Christian Yelich seems like a good guy. Christian Yelich is a god. It's crazy how good he's <laughs> become. Yeah, super nice guy, likable. Just straight up rakes like with the bat. It's it's unbelievable. So I'm worried. I, about our Cubs, we can we can. This ext- will be an oncoming. Yeah, we can extend the storyline as the season goes along. But there's uh, no need to start off so jaded. We got to be more optimistic. All right. Hopefully, we can look back at this and listen back and uh, and laugh and, as the Cubs are, you know, leaving the Brewers in the dust. So <laughs> I guess we can't complain about. Well, I was about to say we can't complain about our cold, but transitioning into talking about Minneapolis, it's in the 60s this week. I was gonna say, yeah. Now. As you so smoothly, you know, just transition <laughs> to some Final Four talk with the, the Final Four coming up in Minneapolis this week. I was worried. I, I, I pulled up the uh, the weather app, and I was thinking that I would see... Which is always wrong. T- typical, like, spring weather in Minneapolis, like 40s, ra- mix of rain and snow. But yeah, you're right. It's going to be, like, 50s and 60s. 60s for the Final Four this weekend. Like, I'm almost concerned the that? land of 10,000 lakes are actually going to not be frozen. How about that? I know. I'm excited for that. Um and I'm excited because, obviously, Michigan State is in the Final Four. So we got the second year in a row, Big Ten representative in the Final Four. Um, Almost had two teams. So, yeah, so let's talk about how we got there. That was rough. All right. Let's back up. All things considered, Big Ten had a very good tournament showing that's still going on. I obviously. agree. Um, two teams in the Elite Eight, which was good. Three teams in the Sweet 16, very solid, with two falling just short. Uh, so I have to ask, as, you know, we're, we're very – Invested, I think, in, in Purdue just because some of our coworkers are <laughs> big Purdue fans. In, i.e. coworkers, my bosses. <laughs> how how did you consume that Purdue Virginia game and even the Purdue Tennessee game? Because those are two of the best games I've ever seen. And Purdue was involved in both. Just come came out on the wrong side of the, the yeah. Final Four one. Well, obviously, I've been a little predetermined biased just mm-hmm. because my department likes to um, put all of the Purdue magic in there. But I was watching at my friend's place. We were making dinner. And I've honestly never seen Carson play, like, the way he did. That was just unreal. Making shot after shot and, like, returning them like no other. Well, the thing is, like, there was no guarding it. Because Carson, 
would not necessarily beat guys off the dribble. He came off some screens and got some looks that way, but it was mostly just him backing up further and further out and, and just hitting them. <laughs> it was almost like Dame, literally. Yeah. He was getting out of the half yeah, court. He was backing up from the logo, hitting shots, and just watching. I mean, it, it seemed like he couldn't get much higher than the Purdue-Tennessee game. That was such a huge game, a program-changing game, as like our Robbie Hummel described it for Purdue. It was. It felt like them finally breaking through. Yeah. And then they he run into it. That way. Yeah, and, and it was it really was a program changing win. But then they run into Virginia with an opportunity for another program defining win to truly break through that, yeah. that glass ceiling. They couldn't get through, and they had it. They were there, and I, you know, I, you I were can, here, right? Watching. I was it. here watching in the studio. We were going nuts. Everyone here was screaming, just because the game was so intense. And I literally almost checked out of the game because I thought Purdue had won when Ryan Klein was going to the line uh, up two with two free throws. He's like pretty automatic. Yeah. He'd just come off that pretty much Huge legendary game. performance yeah, that Thursday. cemented him as, as, an, as a you know Boilermaker icon forever. So I'll share with you something that Purdue fans will probably you know Ooh. hate to hear but and maybe even get mad at me for. But obviously uh, when I'm here at night watching the games, my job is to kind of amplify the game on social media, share the clips best highlights or or whatever uh you know is going on in the game so we had made a purdue goes to the final four graphic it was ready to go when they put ryan klein on the line i put the graphic into twitter oh, no. ha- typed up the copy purdue's going to the final four blah 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 and was about to hit send just waiting for them to, to ice the game away because if he hits that free throw it's probably over even when uh virginia had to go to the line themselves and they were down three, you know, it's still unlikely they're going to win. I, I don't disagree with the call by Matt Painter to foul up three. I think that's a pretty safe bet usually. Um, you can debate that. But you still think they're going to win that game. You don't think that the ball's going to get tipped out. When I saw it go backcourt, I'm like, there's no way they're going to get a good look other than a heave. And the, and the uh, point guard for Virginia, I can't remember his name, makes a great pass to Mamadi Diakite, who makes the perfect catch, turn, and gets it off just in time. And at that point, it's just like all the air is kind of let out of the balloon. Yeah. No, um, it was like fate for Virginia, obviously. It, and, and, like, it, Virginia's not a team that, you know, you kind of roll your eyes and say, oh, they get to go, you know, we lost to Virginia. They're a blue blood. Because they're, they're not. They, they're not. They're, they're coming off of a rough last they, show, last year's tournament. They've been very, <laughs> yeah, they've been very good. You had to feel bad for them kind of like just as, you know, Big Ten bias aside, you had to feel bad for them what happened last year. Their coach seems like a super nice guy. Oh, I'm, I have such a soft spot for Tony Bennett. Yeah, such I was going to say, with spot. you, Tony Bennett. He used and to be an assistant Bennett. coach at UW. Right, so. And. Do you ever a little happy for them then? Oh, yeah. And yeah. My, yeah. One of my sisters like got her grad degree from there. Like, UVA is like very. I, if there's a team to lose to, I would pick them. I also like. Yeah, but. It, it was gut wrenching. Just not even as a Purdue fan, but just watching how close they came. And I know how much it means to that fan base. Um. That hasn't been there since 1980, and that literally had the game in their grasp. But I was also very impressed because Purdue fans, I think for the most part, kept really good perspective they're, they're after the game. Like they they recognized that was an all timer that we just saw. Thank you for a great season. Yeah. I saw a lot of responses like that on on social media. Um, good luck to Virginia. Like I don't know if I even could have handled it that well if I was <laughs> a Purdue fan because like, I was really impressed. Like they, some of them were just kind of like you know what, Virginia was just just barely better and and they're right they have every reason to be proud of Purdue what a season for yeah, I know for them to because they started start, off so poorly yeah 6 and 5 it's supposed to kind of be a rebuilding year for yeah. them and Came out they so had one strong. of the most memorable seasons 
that we've seen. So hats off to you, Boilermakers. Yeah. So they did not make it. <laughs> However, Michigan State <laughs> yeah, can't take picked up that. the baton from <laughs> Purdue and carried it across the finish line to the Final Four, beating Duke. Yeah. Oh my God. How did you take that one in? Were you I watching was watching one? it alone in my apartment. Okay. Which was honestly great. I was all in, focused. Got to got some great uh, colorful play by play and. Honestly, I didn't think they were going to win. Are you someone who, like, talks during games when no, you... No, I'm quiet. Really? I'm very quiet. I, like... And you can ask the people I'm sitting by, especially at night when this place clears out and it's just a few of us watching. I'll always scream at the TV, at the refs, oh. at the players. Like, it's just how I kind of get into the game, and I, I yell as if I'm, like, some obnoxious <laughs> fan at the game. It's really immature, but that's how I do it. At least um, you know. You have good self-awareness. Exactly. Were you here for that yep, one? Yep. No, actually, I was at my uh, apartment for that one. It was Sunday, so I was not working. Um, Alone with friends? With friends. It, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we were all kind of rooting for Michigan State, but it, it's I weird. I just didn't think they were going to I don't know how you feel about this Duke team. Um, usually, you know, Duke is the evil empire. These guys, I didn't really mind I know. them. You know? Because as, as great of a superstar Zion is, I don't really think he has that bad guy persona. No, he seems like a great kid. Yeah. Um, and all the other guys did too. I think that's what happens when Duke brings in like the one and dones, right? It's not like that guy that's been there, like Grayson Allen, that you can learn to hate over four years. Yeah, well, for personal thoughts and <laughs> reasons, yes. Exactly. So, yeah, this Duke team just, you know, the burning rage wasn't there. It was more for me seeing them win the way they did against UCF and against uh, Virginia Tech, True. where True. they just got, like, they got flat out lucky. And I'm like, come on. Like, like Purdue gets, I think you could say, unlucky, even though they got beat. They're a star franchise or star um, program for success like that and meanwhile Duke who has had every built in advantage since K built it up is getting missed layups at the buzzer to push them forward so I was glad to see them I'm glad that I'm glad they lost great for Michigan State who are you happiest for Michigan State on the team on the team or just in the organization anybody I mean, Cassius Winston it could be a great storyline for him, being Big Ten Player of the Year, and then they literally beat Michigan all three all three times they played them. Yeah. So I, Izzo's Mr. March. I love Cassius Winston. He He's seems, great. like, so chill. Another team. All those guys are just, like, super easy to root for. Yeah, I kind of They agree. really are. I mean, And after not, seeing their player go down. Yeah, they had the Big Ten Kyle Arns get hurt in the champ game. Josh Kenny Goins. Go- how do you say his last name? Goins. He seems so cool. Yeah, Kenny Goins is a guy who walked on. A story came out. Uh, he always wears glasses in his from, little post From the Athletic. Said. Yeah, from the Athletic that he, like, walked on and his parents took out a loan for him to even go to MSU. So he's, he's earned a scholarship, obviously, and uh, hit one of the biggest shots in program history, really, to help push them past Duke. So that was great. I was not very confident when they went down, I think, double digits in the first half, um, but they were able to pull together. And now they're going to Minneapolis. So Colleen... <laughs> Somehow you have roots in, like, every region <laughs> in the country, every area that we talk about. Okay, um, yeah, well, this one's wild. This is, like, OG roots, kind of, okay. because so Minneapolis, not only do, like, I have a bunch of best friends from school from there, but dear old mom and dad got engaged in Minneapolis. It's weird, because you're from Southern California. I am plenty, born in California. You, have, you grew up there, but you have plenty of Chicago roots, obviously True. family roots, also Wisconsin roots, because you went there and your family has ties there. And then now, all of a sudden, your parents <laughs> yeah. got engaged in Minnesota. So, I, okay. I swear I'm not it's almost too many up. places. For, all right. Let's hear um, the story. Okay. Well, so it was their third date. Get this. How nuts is this? First of all, third date. They're like 28, 29, 30, that realm. I kind of forget exactly what age. And they were kind of doing this, like, long-distance ordeal for these th- two and a half months they knew each other. They're walking around Lake of the Isles in Minneapolis, and they sit down on a bench and my dad looks at my mom, no ring, 
and asked her to marry him. Isn't that wild? That's unbelievable. He, and he, also, he like, legit like shot his shot. That's shoot your shot. <laughs> I know. He actually coined the phrase. No, but uh, and if you know my dad, he's a little shyer, a little like more uh, reserved. Mm-hmm. So I think all of his spontaneity might have come out then, and now he's just been you know. And to be honest, loving and living life. To be honest, if we were sitting there across the the park or the lake or whatever, and had witnessed that and known the backdrop of. The only three dates before doing that, I probably would have said, those kids aren't going to make it, but you know what? <laughs> Four kids later. Here you are. 30 plus years. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> so yeah, that had to, sorry for the personal anecdote, but it had to be said. But yeah, final four in Minneapolis. Are you pumped? I'm pumped. Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, it's kind of ironic because um, <laughs> Minneapolis was not on our big bracket of the cities <laughs> that we made last show that First we're going to continue soon. We did not include Minneapolis, uh, and we probably should have, to be honest. But we're going to pick up our, ba- our bracket um, city talk here in a second. Just wanted to, to throw that out there as we pump up Minneapolis as, as a uh, tourist destination and event city here coming up that uh, we're sorry for not <laughs> including it in, in the bracket. <laughs> we'll be proven wrong. Yeah. So you've written down some recommendations here. Yeah. Like I said, a bunch of my best friends from school are from there. All right. So so what's, what's going on in the Twin Cities? I, I've been there... Plenty of times, but I think this is one of the longest stays that I'll have, and, and I'm sure a lot of Big Ten fans, or I guess Michigan State fans, and, and college basketball fans that'll be there um, can say the same. So yeah, well, so what's it's going taking on? place at US Bank Stadium. Yep. So I think semi close to there are some cool breweries. I've gotten some good recs, Surly and Fulton. Surly's not close to there, but it okay. is a good brewery. Okay. I actually have good. been there. Geographical. It's off. not. It's not far. <laughs> no, you can you can drive. It's not. Well, walk. because if anybody doesn't know, uh, the Twin Cities, it's Minneapolis and Saint Paul. So those are the two twins. <laughs> yes. But they're, they're close to each other. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're divided. But some people might not know. Okay. I'm just laying. It no, down. I'm glad. For the, the um, but some good food recs. Uh, there are bars, La Grossa, Bar La Grossa, Black Sheep Pizza. Butcher and the Bower. So are these like University of Minnesota? Not not in Dinkytown. Okay. But what is coming to Dinkytown? We have to get to that in a second. Just lay it out right now. Let's hear it. Okay. Well, the beloved college club that is originated in Madison is expanding. It's a establishment, right? It's like a it's a well-known it's, yeah, Wisconsin it's establishment. Okay. It's been there for years. Bar and restaurant type. Yep. Is now expanding to the Minneapolis campus. That's like treason, right? I mean, you've got a lot of people are worked you're, up about. You're this. crossing the act. It's like crossing axe lines, crossing state lines. I, I I don't know. Like, there's always bar drama. I feel like at college bars because like people hold them so near and dear. But that's almost blasphemy to open the same bar on your rival campus. But it's, it's not already a chain, right? It's not like it's, it's not just, a chain. This it's is not like a, its first franchise opportunity. It's not your brother's bar and grill, which you have in like every Big Ten campus. No, this is a this is the KK as they call it. And I worked at a rival establishment, okay. so like this is funny for me because I don't feel as worked up about it. But some people are like calling it trash, saying they're never going to go back, and yeah, that could hurt your business in Madison, you know. But I don't really see where they're coming from. Like it's not affecting anybody that goes to Madison. That's the thing; people forget about it, and like <laughs> it's a fun, it's, it's a fun storyline. Um, it won't be open for this weekend, right? No, That's, no, okay. it doesn't open until the summer. But okay. that would have been wild. Yeah, I would have checked it out. Um, Anything else going on? Well, they've got amazing ice cream in Minneapolis. I know it's cold, but actually, no. Like we said, it's going to be in the 60s. I think the lakes are still still frozen. But um, got to check out Sebastian Joe's and Izzy's. Okay. I've been to both of those, and they're incredible. Nice. Um, I've heard Al's Breakfast is a tiny diner, and it's amazing. Yeah, um, Al's was on Campus Eats, I think. Yeah, well, there you go. So, Supporting programming. Yeah, that's good. So, I mean, Minneapolis just hosted the Super Bowl last year. So, like, they're used to this. You know, they've done, they've done the... Not even 
trial run. Like the Super Bowl is like the yeah. biggest there is, but Final Four is just as big, almost it's probably a little longer, just days wise. I guess it more Super, opportunity. Super Bowl has its whole week, but there's more. There's two days of games right, for, for right. the uh, the Final Four, so they're used to this. Um, I'm sure they've got everything down. Uh, looks like everything downtown is going to be kind of close together. Like San Antonio last year was also very um, concentrated into one area, but there was only like a few hotels downtown and the the dome the uh, Alamo dome was like over the highway it wasn't like super yeah. easy to get to to walk over to so it's be interesting I'm, I'm excited to see the new US Bank Stadium um, only a couple years old now yeah the Vikings playing so that'll be fun that's gonna be sick but yeah huge fan of Minneapolis um Everyone enjoy it. If you haven't seen the big spoon in the sculpture garden. I've seen that. I've been there. That's pretty cool. Not in a long time. I remember my dad dragged me and my family there. I guess him and my mom wanted to go, but we were visiting family up there a long time ago, and uh, I was freezing, and we went to see that sculpture garden with the with the spoon, and um, it was cool. It's cool. Yeah. It's cool. <laughs> it was, it's it was nice. cold. It's, it's, hopefully it's warmer. It but was also cold. Controversial topic. Yes. What do you think of when you hear the phrase, Minnesota nice? It's funny. I... A little uh, spoiler here. I'm going to try and work this into maybe a little digital project with the players and we have availability with them. I'm going to try and you know get their Minnesota nice to come out, the Michigan State guys, and see if they're. Uh, but what do you think it means? It means that everyone's like you know it's like Canada Canada light in Minnesota. Like everyone's got that kind of disposition of friendliness and they're very welcoming. Uh, don't you know, uh, you know, okay. Minnesota okay. and all that? So I thought this too, but apparently it kind of also means like passively, like... Passive aggressive? A little bit. Okay. And like your Minnesota nice, like, yep, yep, yep. Well, what I'm I'm curious to see if the Minnesota nice carries over and if the Gophers fans up there will come out to support the Michigan State um, brethren that beat them yeah, in round thirty-two. I bet they, I bet there'll be a lot of Gophers fans there that I are cheering so for too. Michigan State. I mean, I, I, I still take it as everybody from Minnesota is super nice. But yeah. this was enlightening to me when this most recent time I was in Minneapolis. My girlfriends were like, mm, sometimes it doesn't always mean that. Interesting. Well, we'll keep on the controversial topic track <laughs> and we'll wrap up the episode with our city brackets that we talked about last week. Which um, caused a lot of drama. Yeah. To recap, <laughs> we chose sixteen cities in the U.S. Put them in bracket format. Again, and completely biased and off of really no facts. Yeah, yeah no true categories. <laughs> we just kind of rolled with it. Um, we got it down to an Elite Eight, and we'll finish up today and determine a winner. But yeah, it did cause some consternation in the office. We had someone come over, and it was furious that Indy was included. Um, no Charleston. Yeah, I wanted Charleston, South Carolina. Apparently, he, I seeded DC too low. He knows what he is, or he knows who he is. <laughs> yeah, listening if to this, you're listening. And what he is. Um <laughs> Yeah, and Minneapolis, like we said, wasn't included, but probably should have been over a couple of these cities. But we'll, what, what, those are semantics. We already, we already, yeah. <laughs> we committed. Minneapolis did make all uh, honorable mentions, so they at least uh, accounts for something. Let's get to our Elite Eight, though, and determine a winner, right? And do you want to do, actually, do you want to finish the whole thing now, or do you want to leave a little bit for listeners next week? We'll leave, we'll leave the championship game. Okay, next week. so we'll get down to our final four and to our championship. Um, yes. We'll run through the eight cities real quick. New York, number one seed, facing D.C., a two seed. We got Chicago against Denver. Chicago's the one seed there. L.A., one seed against Boston. And we got San Francisco, the one seed against Atlanta. So all four number one seeds are still alive. Wow, we're kind of boring that we did that. Well, got a long way to go. So let's start at the top. NYC versus D.C., nation's capital versus pretty much the capital of the world that's wow. NYC I mean it's it's the most famous city in the world I city agree. that never sleeps 
And I don't know if you have any strong opinions either way on this one, but... I'm trying to think of more, like, timely things that we could pair them up against right now. I mean, NYC's weather is, like, spring there, so I'm a little bit jealous. Yeah, but them. D.C.'s the same. Plus, in the spring in D.C., the cherry blossoms come out, and it's super nice and pretty. I mean... It's good scenery, but... I'm still probably going to go NYC. Yeah, I'm not putting Washington, D.C. Over, over New York. That's a tough second-round matchup for them. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree. NYC has to move on. Okay. Next one. Chicago, Denver... This ne- is really hard. I don't think it is, but I've, I've also <laughs> never been to Denver. So okay, well, like you're getting like nature, nature, nature. You can do yeah, something we don't there have, year round. We don't have the outdoorsy appeal here. There's nothing outdoorsy. It's just urban. Here. It's flat, and then it gets really humid, and then it gets super cold, and you can't do anything. I do want to visit Denver like the summer, spring. I think I'm gonna try and do that, but until then, there's no way I can put them ahead of Chicago. I don't even think after I visit, I'll put them ahead of uh, my biased favorite city Chicago so all right let's set up an epic Chicago NYC yikes final four matchup and move on down the bracket LA Boston you're from LA area I'm I'm gonna go you've never been to Boston yes I have oh you have been to Boston it was DC you haven't been to yes I've been to DC okay this is easy for me what are you gonna say LA all day I was gonna say Boston okay just because you you just because okay not only because I don't want all number one seeds, but L.A. is just so inconvenient to get around. That's what? that's the main so, disclaimer for me. Because of what? The traffic? Yes. That's a cliche anymore. You no, 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 no. Anymore. It's so true. Every big city has traffic now. But nothing. I don't like L.A. It's, it's, you, you because LA, cause here's the difference. It. Here's the difference. The highways go through the city. Like, to get – to go in, like, within Chicago or New York, you're going through city streets, right? Like, L.A., you have to hop on the interstate – and I feel like we're including all the surrounding areas in that. You know, like L.A. is basically composing yes, all. I all got of, to be very patient like, on the road. Let's look at the positives. Patient on the road. Yep. I learned to be a great passenger in a car. Okay. Carpooling is great. You really learn about efficiencies. Well, public transit stinks out there. That's another knock against that's, it. Yeah, that's fair. Just got an NFL team, and when they got to the Super Bowl, they pooped the bed. Um, um, okay, well, that's unfair <laughs> if we're talking about NFL teams. But I have the Patriots one, so that's you can't, that's not. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. just a rematch of the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Boston. I will also say there, it's impossible to get around. There's no street signs. You don't know what's going on. You can't understand half the people with their accents are so thick. I love the accents. Asking you about clam chowder. And you know, as for as cinematically cultured as LA is, with basically every all uh, entertainment, every music, entertainment, health, hub. the food scene. Mm-hmm. You can actually eat healthy all the time. You get a little vitamin D every single day of the year. I'm just biased because The Departed is my favorite movie. Well, but okay, it you've was ro- probably you, made it. You know LA, what? You're so right. Boom. LA. Yeah, L- LA is a little more going for it. But you know what? That's a less second shot. That's a Purdue Virginia <laughs> squeaked it out. Boston is pretty great. Plus, they're the best sports town. I mean, like I said, still better. They can't win everything. More history in Boston. Yeah, very. Ben fair. Franklin. There's a lot of history. Paul in Revere. California, just a different kind of history. Paul Revere. The missions. What's the What's the um the park in Boston? What part? It's like obvious. Fenway? No, no, it's <laughs> obvious. It's like the um, with all the, or the trail, like the trail goes the through the city. Trail. Freedom Trail, yeah. Or the That's Liberty cool. Trail. No Freedom Trail in LA. Right? There's a Walk of Fame. There, there's a there's a Walk of Fame. There's the Mission Trail. I don't know what that is. The, uh, you didn't take California history in the fourth grade like I did, but regardless. One thing I have to check out in LA that I haven't been to is uh, Running Canyon. Yeah, everyone it's takes very the basic, basic the basic IG picks, but it's like very basic. Yeah, I want to do it. Okay. Next time. Basic boy. All right, LA moves on. San, San Francisco, Francisco and Atlanta. Atlanta. I've never been to Atlanta, so... Me either. Okay, well, then they're not winning. 
then we have all the four number one seeds in the final. Whatever, four. that's kind of cool. It's happened before. And we, and we that means okay. we seeded okay. them correctly. We'll move San Francisco up, but <laughs> I'll make a case for Atlanta, even though I've never really been. Besides, like driving through or whatever, it's a very and I said this last time. It's a cultural hub essentially. Like they're very great food, great music scene, a lot of famous. I would say Artists the music and musicians scene are from there. It's 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 pretty much the capital of the South. I would say. Again, we we don't we don't really know though. We can't we can't put them in the final. Great four. history. Coca Cola originated there. They've got some good sports ties. You know, San Tur- Francisco has Alcatraz. Turner, Turner's <laughs> been CNN and all that are all kind of Time Warner's all based around there. You got Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah, it was San Francisco. I mean, but I love San Francisco. I can't yeah, I can't put Atlanta over. Like we just can't. I guess Atlanta, you can live affordably, reasonably, without, you know, paying an arm and a leg like oh, San Francisco. We're for, talking about the economies. Closet. Economy bracket would be very different. Yeah. <laughs> we I mean, have the three, four most expensive cities <laughs> in our final four. Exactly. So. Okay, okay, so now we pretty much have the matchups of California versus Midwest East Coast. Yeah, two California cities in there, which says a lot. Huge. Midwest is being held down by Chicago. Otherwise, just the coastal elites out there. Um, so since we've talked about L.A. and San Francisco so in-depth, Let's start there. Let's start at the bottom of the bracket. L.A. or San Fran? I'm going with L.A. That's my... I'm going with San Fran. Well, what... The Bay Area. <laughs> Silicon Valley. It's more scenic, I would argue. Collins there. home region. Well, okay, this is also complicated because I was born in Northern California and grew up in Southern. Okay, so what? what does the area have to offer? San Francisco has San Jose, I would, I would count, in there. Oakland. Um, okay. The entire Bay Sausalito is across the okay. Golden Gate Bridge. Think about it though. LA is if we're doing regionalization, Pasadena, Pasadena the Rose Santa Bowl, Monica, Malibu. You can't as a Big Ten employee not want to root for the Rose Bowl. I don't care about the Rose Bowl. I mean I like the Rose Bowl, but that doesn't it's like, like t- kinda of tilt the scales for me. And it should tilt it's my home region. What about like sports? Sports with sports teams. Okay, so we've got San Francisco, the Dodgers, the Angels, Francisco, the Lakers, the Clippers, yeah. the Chargers, the Rams. Yeah. The Kings. Yeah. The Sacred Heart Tologs, alma mater. San Francisco is a better Chinatown. The Bruins, the Trojans. Chinatown's cool. We've been there. Oh, uh, yeah, but that, okay. I thought we were talking about teams here. Oh, we are. I'm just listing certain characteristics. Then what, against the Giants, gross. Against the A's, irrelevant. Giants won three World Series in the last 10 years. Yeah, not a Barry Bonds fan. The A's had Moneyball made after them. Irrelevant, it's pretty though. pretty cool. Not, Brad, Brad Pitt, Pitt was in it. Yeah, okay. The, movie the not, Warriors? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes, that, they're the one relevant team. And what, the Sharks, I guess? Santa's, they're pretty good. They've been good lately. Silicon Valley's big. You know, all the tech companies are out there. It's basically Silicon, like, Hollywood versus Entertainment and versus anything culture versus technology and startups. All right, how are we going to decide this? Um, Rock, paper, scissors? <laughs> LA wins. No, because we're, we're at... We're are, we, are we going two out of three? No. One. So Brock, paper, yep. scissors, shoot. shoot. Yep. Ready? Brock, paper, scissors, shoot. shoot. Oh. Let the record show. I got scissors. Cuts paper. Devastation. I'm fumbling with the mic right now. And San Francisco moves on. You just live on. sports on air, guys. Moves on. Live sports. Bad, bad radio, but <laughs> pulled it off. And we uh, decided our our oh uh, our I'm dispute never, like adults. I'm never going to leave anything to rock, paper, scissors again. All right. New York, Chicago. we got to set the championship before... I mean, on behalf of both of our schools and where we work and live our adult lives, I gotta go Chicago. I think Chicago is the the best city in the world (laughs) from a biased point of view. However, I can also recognize that NYC has pretty much all the world's business and the world's 
Um, yeah, I understand it's the leader you know, in a lot of things. Just everything runs through it, you know? Like, yeah. it's, and you go overseas, and I'll say you'll see a lot of Bulls and Michael Jordan stuff, and, you know, Chicago was basically put on the map internationally by the Bulls, which is crazy to think about. But you see way more New York City stuff. Like, it's such a, it's such a world... Um, like, that's why I said world capital earlier. It's such a, an icon. Like, people will wear Yankees hats not even knowing what the New York Yankees are because it says right. NY. In the I understand this. Like, I've people seen just, it also. It, it, it's insane. Like, I agree. That's what stood out to me the most. This is, like, is our bracket. The, the York, We're not basing this I'm off just, of the, the I'm world. just playing devil's advocate. You know, New York is such a uh, institution. It's probably my second favorite city in the U.S. Um, so it's tough to see them go at it in the Final Four here. <laughs> but also, <sighs> have you been to Manhattan in the summer and how bad it smells? Like the last time I was there in the summer was when I was like with my family and I like was the trash small. just piles up in the street. Yeah, the trash. cleanliness. If we're talking about it's cleanliness, gross. Chicago definitely beats New York. I know the trash. They just leave it out there. Yeah, and it's hot. It's sticky. It's still great because it's NYC, but Chicago is undefeated when it comes to summertime shy. So since we're heading that way, are we? I think we got to put it. All right, there you have it. Our very biased and based off of no real statistic. Bracket. All right. Final championship. Chicago, San Francisco. We'll have to get to it next time because we've already gone way too long. <laughs> Stay tuned next week. Thanks to everyone for listening. Make sure you tune in to uh, you know see if our hometown city can pull it off or if the uh, city by the bay. And some exciting reactions to yeah. Final we'll Four. Final Four wrap next week. And we'll have a champion by then. Maybe the first time uh, since 2000, Big Gosh, Ten. That'd be huge. Be awesome. All right. Colleen, thanks a lot. I will talk to you next time. All right. Thanks once again to Andy, Harold, and Colleen for joining me. Thanks again to Northwestern SBS for sponsoring the show. Shout out to my producers, Julie Bronder, Wes White, and everyone who has listened to the show, whether it's your first time or your 100th time almost. It's, you know, We're creeping up on 100 episodes here, which is hard to believe, but uh, it's been a lot of fun, and I'm sure we'll have uh, a lot of fun hopefully talking to some cool Big Ten related personalities at the Final Four. So we'll talk to you soon. Hopefully uh, next time we check in, it's celebrating Big Ten National Championship. We'll see. Either way, all eyes will be on Minneapolis. With that, we'll talk to you next time here on the Take Ten Podcast.